Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A fabulous free kick from Leighton Baines. Dawson, oh, what a finish from Ben Dawson. It's 2-0. He's scored by Tim Cahill. I'm going to start off talking a little bit about Dale and then we'll come into Tram there. Um, just a few questions for Danny actually because I know Danny's been going to the home and away games. Obviously he went to Forest Green the other night and a few other games. We haven't really we haven't won a game have we for a while. I think it was Tram, uh, not Tramway, sorry, Newport at home was the last last time we won. Um, it was. Is, is there something in that where obviously we're we're in somewhat of a transition, or do you think we're we're actually struggling? What, what what do you think? Can you put a finger on those puff results? Um. Yeah, that's, I'd say we're struggling. Let, let's be honest. We're sat in in nineteenth in the league. Um, we're having chances. We're not. We're not shooting. There seems to be a lack of confidence across the vast majority of the team. Uh, the Newport game, obviously, we we went and beat Newport three 0 at home just before Christmas. Um, great result, but totally against against our run of form as such. Uh, prior to that, not scoring many again. Jake Beasley obviously got a brace in that game. He's now left in January and so far the goals haven't come from his replacement. Um, Tavon got one at the weekend against Harrogate, but I think he's looking slightly small, a bit weak for the level. Um, Still a big lack of confidence in him as well. I mean, it's a massive opportunity, but it's also a big step up for him. Um, But I I think a lot of it's just due to the fact that we're not getting goals throughout the team. Nothing nothing seems to be coming from the midfield. There's no having shots on the edge of the area. There doesn't seem to be any box overload. It's just all, all gone very, very stale, maybe the last six or seven games. It's difficult to put a finger on it, really. I've been watching a few games. I went to the Tramway game. I obviously had that. I tried to go to the... The one that got called off, was it Carlisle got called off? I was heading to that on on the train and I got there and it got called off. But um, it's difficult to put a finger on everything because um, we spoke about in the last episode with Mark Sweetmore that it might not be about expecting more from the players, but it might be trying to play them in their best positions or trying to play around them. I don't know if that's something that we can try and do in the next few games, but it's not looking great in terms of five points from relegation. Um, we play we play Scunthorpe on Saturday, which is going. I think that's going to be a bloody difficult game. I know everyone's taking the mick out of Scunny and saying that this and that, but they'll be desperate for points. They'll be absolutely desperate for points. And Keith Hill is there. He probably arguably the 
best manager we've ever had. Um, do you think that could be a difficult game on paper, Danny, even though Scunthorpe are bottom of the bottom of the league? Uh, if you're going to look at um, on paper, I think I sent the stat to you um, in the week on Twitter. On Sunday, it'll be 23 years since we beat Scunthorpe at Scunthorpe, going all the way back to 1999. So a bit of a bogey team for us, possibly. Uh, I think there's eight losses and five draws in that time there. They'll be They'll be well up for the scrap. Um, and I think that's that's a, an area of our game that we've really, really struggled with this season as a whole, I think, actually scrapping, winning them little one-on-one battles, winning first and second balls. Um, we've had it a few games, like the Oldham games and stuff. Players should really be up for, up for a bit of a fight and there just doesn't seem to be anything there, whether that's having a fairly young squad a little bit naive, a little bit soft. I don't know, but we're, we're definitely missing a few crunching tackles and things. I think with Ball coming into the midfield, we might see a, a little bit more of that. He looked really good against Forest Green. He got his goal as well. He looked a very good midfielder. He looks very uh, Matty Lund-like, um, but chucked in a few good tackles. Again, had a, a, I'd say a fairly good um, outing against Harrogate, albeit we shipped three really sloppy goals. <laughs> Just a bit of a question for Jimmy and Declan, actually. It's um, going to be somewhat a, a bit of a mirror with Rochdale, but when Tranmere was... Obviously, they got relegated to the conference a few years ago. Was there any particular red flag that you spotted and you thought, that's a problem that we need to address? Um, <clears throat> I think for me, the... Um... There was an awful lot going on behind the scenes. Um, so the, the season that we got relegated from Lead One, um, there was a, a handover in in kind of ownership and um, and trying to almost looking after the the club from Peter Johnson, who'd been there for um, well for for many years. Obviously, uh, the Evertonians on on the the podcast will, will remember him as well. Um, and he made it very clear that he wasn't going to invest in the club anymore. He was there basically to wait until the right person came along. Um, and behind the scenes, he he brought in Jeremy Butler. I'm pretty sure that was his name, um, as a kind of sporting director who, by all accounts, had no idea of football. I think he'd had some very limited experience in rugby league, um, and he basically came in and all of our best players at the time who were uh, above the age of thirty, he basically told them that we didn't want them. Um, so the likes of Ryan Lowe, who in a very poor squad had, had banged in, I think. 16, 17 goals that season basically turned around told him he was too old and they, they were the kind of players that we, we really needed in that year that we went down um, in, into the conference I think the number of loan signings we had a, an astronomical number of players, I think it was something like 60, 65 players could even have been more than that represented us within the season um, and yeah I, th- I think just the general there was just a mood about the place going back to what you were saying there before about Goodison as well. I think the fans the fans didn't play a part. I'm not saying that in terms of our relegation, but it was just every week you were turning up expecting to get beat. I think that was, for me, that, that was the real kind of sign of things to come, if that makes sense. There was a real downward spiral with the club. Um, Jimmy? No, no, I think to echo your point, you mentioned loan signings. I think I remember there being so many like one month or two week loans or temporary loan signings coming through the doors. That means one, you're not gonna get any squad consistency. And secondly, what's the what's the um 
desire? What's the carrot for those players? They come in for a month and then go back to, say, I don't know, West Brom or wherever they've come from. And it's like, why do they care if Rovers stay up or go down? Because they could be gone, they'll be back in their parent club by March or April, you know, and then working towards another brief loan. It was all temporary loan signings. And and the one thing I will say the Palios has definitely did when they bought the club is they got, okay, a squad that was National League quality by and large, but they had a good core of a squad that, did take the club up two divisions ultimately. Your Davises, your Norwoods, your a bit later on your Jennings and all that. Um, and I, yeah, that's my biggest red flag I remember from the time is just thinking, right, who's at the club this week? I just imagine the training ground was just like a game of guess who, because you, you literally did not know who on earth was going to be at the club. For you know, this one's gone back, this one's come through. Who, who is it this week? Uh, I couldn't even name half the players from that season because there was that many and the utterly like just random names that never went on to ever do anything in the game or ever had done much before, really. So I think with Rochdale, you've got to... Okay, you've had a few players go because that's the nature with COVID and things as well. You've had to let a few players, you know, be sold on for a bit of a fee. Your Beasleys and your Morleys and that, which... That's the nature of football. If you get a decent, you know, six-figure offer from a football from a championship or League One club, in League Two, you're going to accept that at the moment. It's, uh, you are anyway. You'd be a fool to turn down that kind of money. And um, but the thing is, you've got a core of a of a of a good young squad there. That if you can retain the players, which no reason why you can't, maybe you know, I don't know how many are out of contract at the end of the season. Then I think you'll be absolutely fine. And I think what we're looking at is the likes of. Your Scunthorpe, your Carlisles, maybe older now, a bit of an upward turn, you know, Stevenage and that, where we're seeing those kind of clubs that have got that sort of mood around them. And you feel up as that. Every year there's always those same clubs that have that kind of mood around them. They're going to go down. You know, Notts County had it. And, you know, a few others, Chesterfield had it the other year. And you, you, I don't feel that way about Rochdale. Um, I, don't, I don't see the way Rochdale are now. Anything like Rovers were in the 2014-15 season, there's 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 not a lot of correlation there. You are picking up wins, and not as many as you'd like, I know. But there's you, the club seems more and more of a settled footing, especially with all the turmoil that's gone on with Rochdale over the last you know year or so. Um, the fact that you know as was it Mark pointed, if you'd finish 22nd and had a club support, they'd be happy. Now obviously I know you'd rather finish higher than 22nd, but I do feel like you'd not. I mean, this may come back to really bite me on the arse in May, but I don't feel like you're in any danger of going down, to be honest. One, because I think the quality is so poor down the bottom anyway. And also, I just think you're a lot more of a settled club than Rovers certainly were those years ago. For me, Greg, I'll be honest, I'm not well read up on this between you and Dan. What are the -the off-the-field issues with Rochdale? Just because I'll be honest, I'm, I'll admit this straight away, I'm not clued up on it whatsoever. That's fine. I've, I've not really spoken about it that much on the pod, but Danny will be able to help me with this one. But uh, pre-season, there was a bit of a hostile takeover with Martin House, who I think they had a certain percentage of shares in the club, and I think it reached a certain point, like 30%. And I think I don't know if it's a PFA FA even, or whoever it is, EFL even, that once you've got... a the 30% stakehold you're considered... What, what is it, Dan? Is it you're considered as an owner or something like that? Um, yeah, you well, you're considered someone who, ho- who owns 
high shares within the club as such. Um, I think what it was with Morton House, the way they acquired their shares was in small percentages of 4% here, 6% there, whatever. If you achieve 30% and above, you're classed as, as some sort of shared ownership. You have to then fulfil the EFL fit and proper test to become a director of football at the football club whereas the way they bought their shares and was going about it they would have bypassed all these tests um, they could have snuck into the club in that sense and I think I think in total they had up to nearly 40% of shares uh, available at that point um, all through underhanded sales um, I believe obviously the club have managed to stop the sales of a lot of the shares going through and then they issued a new um, share scheme within the club where supporters could buy the clubs, reducing the share prices in cents. So the shares that they then bought were then worth less than they'd already paid for them. Um, and now Morton House have turned a court case on Rochdale to sue Rochdale and board members, I believe. Um basically saying they've done them out of money kind of thing. That was their legal right to buy them shares, this, that and the other, whereas Rochdale obviously weren't for selling the shares and believe they were in, in their right to do the same thing. So they're currently going through a bit of a, a court battle behind the scenes still. So it's not quite it's not quite stable yet, but it is it is getting there. So basically this 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 is all the all of this is going on, but it, it, it's something I've, I haven't really, really tapped into on the pod because there's all kinds of, you get different, I'm a Dale Trust member and I, I think a few other Dale fans are obviously and you get these emails about what you can talk about and what you can't, but it's, it is public knowledge, it is out there that this is happening and things like that, so maybe we should be talking about it a bit more. Um, when I finally edit these podcasts and put them out hopefully, hopefully this week <clears throat> I'll put a link on with the um, there's like a, the, tr- the Dale Trust have put a fundraiser that they need to reach um, I've put a few quid in there and things like that but if anybody of the listeners want to put a couple of quid in and things like that I'll, I'll pop that in there um, I'll, I'll just nip back to the Dale's recent form just for, just for a few minutes and obviously we drew three all with Harrogate at the weekend um, something that I saw on Twitter, Dan, was about a few Dale fans were... There was a lot of heat on um, O'Connell for some bizarre reason, that they were saying that he didn't have a great game, but that's a rarity, isn't it, really, that O'Connell doesn't have a good game? Do you think he really deserved that much sort of... I wouldn't say flack, but there were, there were definitely a lot of comments about that online. Um, yeah, I think, I think arguably was his worst performance of the season. However, I think he gets a lot of unnecessary stick due to the fact that he probably is our best player on paper um, captain of the club he seems to be a bit of a scapegoat when anything's going wrong at the back um, we did switch to a back four on Saturday for the first time this season I believe um, O'Connell's always played central to that back five and stepped into the midfield had license to go forward and and kind of try and push the team forward in that sense as more of a holding midfielder than a centre-back. And I think he naturally kept drifting into these positions that he has been taking up in the back five all season. And I think he just found himself out of position a few times without that right-sided centre-back there to take 
like clean up after him basically um I, I've seen a few things saying he, his head was down and they, they always say the same things. He doesn't want to be here. He's leaving in the summer. He was, he was supposed to be going in January. Bristol City was supposed to be taking him off the team coach and everything when they were going down to Colchester or wherever it was. Um, there's there's always rumours around it and you're always going to get that with your bigger players. But I think he's just being used as a bit of a, a, a scapegoat on Saturday to what was just a very, very poor defensive performance. I saw the um, I saw a lot of that online about O'Connell and that Preston were after him because Ryan Lowe was at Preston and Ryan Lowe and O'Connell were at Bury and things like that. But I think you're always going to get that with one of your best players. You know that's always going to circulate that he's off and things like that. But end of the day, he's still here, isn't he? And he's still captain. He's still playing every week. So you know, there's a I'm not going to say this is a there's still something in him. You know, he's still here and he still wants to play. So some of it, I think he's a little bit unjust sometimes on him. Fair enough, he might have had a poor game, but you can't really... I, I, I can't think of any poor games that O'Connell had. If there is, I can count them on one hand, really, in the couple of years he's been here. Um, I, I'm assuming you went to the Harrogate game, Danny, but um, was it as end-to-end as it looks on the um, three-all? Was it that end-to-end? Um, no, I think I think it was... For the most part, probably 70, 70 minutes or so was probably Rochdale. Um, as it has been the story of most games this season, we've had a lot of possession, a lot of chances, and just not actually taking taking the chances we're, we're creating, basically. Um, I don't really remember Coleman having to make too many saves. I know he conceded, conceded three. They all seem to be defensive mistakes as well. Um, but other than that, I don't don't really recall many times he was that threatened. Um, I think it was just a, like I say, a story of more of the same this season. Create a lot of chances and don't do much with the ball at the other end. Something that I'm on like a group chat with a few Dale fans, and we were trying, we were torn between: is there a communication problem in terms of what Stockdale might be uh, sort of? His tactics to the to the Dale players. It, do you think there might be some sort of communication? Because sometimes when I when I listen to Stockdale on YouTube, it comes across quite clear with everything that he's talking about, and there's no real red flags. Where in the previous years we've had BBM saying the lads have given it everything when we're getting pasted four 0 every every week and every other week the lads are giving it everything and things like that. And then you've got before BBM we had Keith Hill with his Keith Hillisms where. You know, like you might quote something sort of like Cantonar esque and things like that, which was a bit of a red flag. But do you think Stockdale? Do you think there is a communication problem with the players in Stockdale? Possibly. Um, possibly. I think. I think he does. Obviously, want to play quite an attacking brand of football. He wants to play that that quick, heavy, heavy press, high up the pitch. Um, there seems to be an abundance of. Not wanting to take a shot, not wanting to take a pass, always wanted that extra pass into the box. Um, seemed to walk the ball into the goal a lot, but we don't really have the players to do that. And I mean, you said there about Robbie Stockdale's interviews post match and things like that. And for the first maybe 10, 12 games of the season, I remember listening and thinking, he really comes across really well. He talks properly, seems to know where we're going wrong, seems to point out the mistakes, points out the flaws of the game and stuff. And the fans always seem to agree with him. But then next week, nothing happens, like nothing changes. 
it's all well and good saying, oh, we did this wrong, but why is it happening next week and the week after and the week after? I can keep telling you every week that we're, we're falling apart defensively, but until you change it, it's not addressing the situation. It's just merely pointing it out. So I think he does come across really well in the way he speaks. It just seems to be that nothing actually happens the next week, the next match day. It's, it's all more of the same. We fall apart defensively. We had a lot, a lot of the ball, a lot of chances, and don't don't seem to take anything. It's something I picked up on that I listened to everything on his YouTube there. Uh, interviews, whatever you call it, Stockdale, and it is really clear, but I don't know if that's a tactic problem in terms of, if I can understand it, surely O'Connell or whoever, everybody else can, the players can, but I just can't put a finger on how it's um, been a good few weeks since we've beat anybody, and really when you look at that Newport game, that was quite a convincing win, that was 3-0, and it's such a contrast going from beating Newport, smashing them 3-0, which you know, we, we don't really do that often to it's draw merchants, basically. Jimmy's got something to say. Go on, Jim. You say you mentioned the Newport game, and obviously it was a bit of a surprise that you smash a side that's up the top end of the table. Do you think that's put a bit of extra pressure and expectation on the squad and on the players? From where you were, it's, oh, you've suddenly beaten Newport 3-0, therefore you can beat this lot and this lot and this lot. And sort of expectations gone slightly higher because of that one result. I mean, those results do happen at any level, don't they? But I, I, I don't know what the what the feelings are really amongst the fan base and maybe the players. Whether that's maybe altered expectations somewhat, or is it just because the run of form has been quite poor lately? I think with um, with the actual teams we have beat, I think we've we've won six games all season. I think when we worked out, I think the six teams that we actually beat, five of them were in the top seven or eight maybe around Christmas time. So we seem to do the right things against teams that will attack us, basically. Um, when it comes to actually breaking down a team, anyone that's going to sit in and defend really solid, um, the Tramia, for example, brilliant defensively set up nice and solid, we really struggle to break a team like that down. The first first game at Spotland when we played Tramia, it was uh, I think a Danny Cashman goal quite late on, but other than that, we, we didn't look like we were going to score if we played two or three games that day. Um, and then the same happened at Tranmere um, just after Christmas. The two early goals kind of threw the game away and then Tranmere just sat in and let us have the ball for 60 minutes and we didn't do anything with it. We just sat in front of them passing around, passing sideways, sideways, sideways and just never seemed to try and get behind the like behind the line, basically. I'm just going to touch on Tramir. Uh, seen as Danny and a few of us have mentioned Tramir. Um, Declan, it's been a week, it can be a long time in football. Um, obviously, Tramir, Walsall won 1-0 and Hartlepool won 1-0 last night, was it? Is that right? Um what can you take from those those two defeats back to back? Is that is that a rare thing these days for Tranmere? We spoke the other the other month about Tranmere's record being quite good in terms of don't really concede any, um, and then obviously we've got two back to back defeats. Is there anything you can look into that perhaps? Yeah, um, it's the it's the first time we've had back to back league defeats since um, October, so it's a it's a 
a fair while since we've experienced that. Um, you know, there's been spells where there's been a couple of draws or a loss in the draw and so on, but back-to-back defeat isn't something that we've had all that often. Certainly, um, you know, take the couple first couple of months of the season out. Um, it's a, a massive opportunity missed. Um, two games ago, it was very much in our hands. We're still four points clear of um, you know your, your standard uh, promotion places, so from fourth place. But the teams below us now, with the games in hand, um, and Exeter on uh, Tuesday night, so obviously last night, um, them coming back and winning four three against I think it was Harrogate. That was kind of like a real. Um, kind of like the, the nail in the coffin of a very bad night's football for us um, we are we're still in, in a very good position but I think those two results have made us realise that we are despite a very strong transfer window we're still quite thin on the ground in terms of we've got you know four or five first teams out injured at the minute and that's making it although they are being replaced by you know quality players coming in I think that team that went on a very, very good run of games, the you know, the five or six lead wins, whatever it was, um, that was kind of the spine of that squad and since then there's been quite a bit of change, whether it be one or two players here or there, but that kind of stability within the squad has, has gone. Um so a lot of players having to come in and, and fill really big shoes. I think as you touched on there a second ago, I think it was Dan who was saying in terms of how solidly we've been defensively, we are still playing quite well at the back. But I think we've took for granted how well we have defended it, you know, through the season as a whole in general. Um, whereby if we go out and we play well defensively, we only need to go and score one game, uh, one goal. Sorry. Now the likes of Hartlepool last night, you know, a, a fairly average League Two side. We sh- we should be going there in second place in the lead, and we should be going to to put a performance, and we should be going there with the intention of scoring two or three goals. To me, it seemed like on a Tuesday night against Hartlepool and again the, the Walsall game on Saturday, we went there to kind of almost set ourselves up for a nil-nil and hope to get something, hope to get a goal down the other end, you know, from a corner, a counter-attack or whatever, and it didn't happen. And I think rightly so, we, we lost both games yet. You know, Walsall, it was a penalty and, and so on, and, you know, Hartlepool, a bit of a soft free kick on the stroke of half-time, but... We offered very, very little. Um, we came out second half there last night, pushed a little bit, but again, there was there was next to nothing up there. The, the midfield, the ball was completely bypassing them. Um, a lot of long ball, a lot of direct ball into into Hemmings, who again's come under criticism, but he showed uh, last week we, we had a, a game against Swindon um, and he, he was unplayable um, up there with uh, Paul Glatzel, who's on loan from Liverpool, um, again injured. So that the players that have been making the, the key difference are, are now starting to kind of slip out the squad a little bit. Um, Jimmy, do you want to say something and then I, if I can come back just on the Swindon game? Yeah, of course. No, um, I think it's quite telling as well the Walsall and the Hartlepool defeats. Um, penalty and an own goal. Penalty given away by Peter Clark. And an own goal by Peter Clark. Now, Peter Clark's, what, 40 now? 39-40. He's been instrumental as a leader at the back, and he's been, for me, Rovers' player of the season. Um, because he's been the absolute rock at the back. Now, if he drops off a couple of percent, it's quite clear the team don't perform the way they should do, which is worrying that they rely on a 40-year-old centre-half to get them promoted. I mean, we noticed it, was it the Stevenage game, when Tom Davis was injured, the centre-half? And that night, first night, night, uh, night Percival came in, and he was okay. He was serviceable. 
Um, but it was he was showing up against Forest Green, something rotten. Um, then to be fair, who wasn't Forest Green were that good? And then obviously, you know the game since then. I think Davis has come back into the side now from injury, but I don't think he's been quite the same. He's still recovering, and Matt Chaplin changed a partner. I think for Clark himself, he knows he hasn't got that same partner next to him, and vice versa. Clark or Mike Percival, then you know they haven't got Clark necessarily, you know, at the same level he was, and I think that is a worry that if a forty-year-old centre half drops off a couple of percentage in a performance, that it costs six points in a massive, massive time of the season. Because, like I say, I was watching the scores come through last night, and it was literally, there's been a goal at St. James's Park, down an extra, next thing, you know, extra 4-3 up after being 3-1 down in the 95th minute. Just on the video print on Sky Sports, it says, Hartlepool 1, Trammy 0, full time. And I thought, oh, literally in that split second. You know, and you're thinking, well, that's extra in Northampton now, with it in their hands, basically, to get the last two promotion spots. And a time when other sides around, you know, Sutton lost last night, Forest Green have been dropping points, other sides obviously beaten Swindon who were up there. It, it, it's, you know, I know we've said before, win your home games, draw your, draw your away games between now and the end of the season and you'll be there or thereabouts, but you've got to draw, at least draw your away games. Don't play for a draw, though. If it had gone one up and drawn 1-1, one, one, it would have been like, OK, not the end of the world, but to... You can't afford to lose games this time of season because the likes of extra Northampton at the moment are looking pretty relentless up the table. And it's it's frightening that all basically pinpointed down to, and I'm not blaming Clark for it, he's been fantastic, but it's worrying that it's pinpointed around one particular player, how we've come about losing those two games. Yeah, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of Clark and in terms of the squad of a whole, I mean Clark is you know he's he's an absolute colossal. He's a he's a you know a club legend and a, a legend within his own right at a lot of other clubs and and that's no you know not by chance. Um, I think the recruitment in January um, we we do tend to recruit very well in the, the January transfer window despite it being you know the harder of the two um, transfer windows to recruit in. I kind of feel like we may have recruited potentially in the wrong areas um, the players that we've brought in I don't think we could have turned away the opportunity to sign the players that we did we, we kind of had to um, so we've, we've brought in um, O'Connor now permanently from Celtic you know a real signing for the future and you know especially if we go up um, you know he, he's definitely that kind of calibre um, we've brought McPake in from Rangers who's been in and out with a few injuries to me yeah he's a bit of a, f- a flashy player but not really what we need at the minute. I think we've got quite a few options out wide. Um, to me, he that the money potential, and you know, this could come back to bite me, and I hope it does. You know, he could come back in from injury and and do really well for us and be the difference. But to me, the the priority, you know, on top of the likes of O'Connor and we've got Hawks back from um, back from Sunderland and actually signed him permanently. Hemmings obviously in from Burton. Um, and Warrington in, in midfield from Everton, but to me, priority number one was another quality centre back. Um, not in terms of you know competition for places, but just that kind of reassurance of you know if something happens to Clark, and we we know full well when players are on a bit of a 
he's he's not played badly by any means, but when players have got there's a few things going against them, especially at, at his kind of age, is this where an injury hits or you know, and touch wood that that doesn't happen. Um, but it, it's it's all I think it's always in the back of our mind every time he goes up for a fifty fifty or a whatever. Um, you know, it, it it is a big a big worry. I think on Matt Wells talk as well about a sort of age and players and the impact of a knock or an injury. I think the correlation between this season and the back end of last season when we saw the not the injuries to James Vaughan. Again, that put pay to any real promotion hopes we had because we didn't recruit in the January window. Well, we did David Nugent, but might as well not have recruited him to be perfectly honest. You know, another one of those Michael Ricketts type signings that big name doesn't do anything for Rovers. Um. Again, it's the same thing of relying on these older lads who are potentially the could be an injury in the was with Bourne at the end of his career and somewhat now he is now the club's director of football, as appointed, I think, last night, was it? Something like that, which I think is a really good appointment, um, hopefully, yeah. anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's just frightening how that's kind of rearing its head again slightly. We need to nip that in the bud if we can before it becomes a full-blown you know, carbon copy of last season where a senior player gets injured and we've got no one really to come in and step in for them. Because I'm not sure Knight Percival and Davis are sent to our partnership get you off this league. No, and I think that's where the recruitment now in January with the likes of O'Connor coming in, um, you know, you look at the likes of Spearing, who on the whole has had a very good season for us. He's currently out injured for a couple of weeks. But the likes of Spearing and you think to yourself, OK, at our level or the league above, you know, potentially another season, season and a half, two at a push, and then you're looking at, you know, you are really going to have to to replace. So I think they are starting to see that in other in other positions, but I think, you know, potentially we've we've maybe, I don't know, count, counted our blessings a little bit too much with Clark, maybe put a little bit too much on him. Um, this isn't taken away from any of his performances. He's not played badly the last two games, but just, you know, you, you do you do start to, to think. Um on that with Clark as well, I, I know obviously a lot of you will have seen this as well, the, the Swindon game, um, not not last Tuesday, the Tuesday before, so uh, Tranmere lost a, a young fan age five, uh, Nate, um, he, he was diagnosed with a, a brain tumour and, and sadly lost his battle with cancer. Um, and the you know the game was was kind of dedicated to him, and actually in the fifth minute, the, the fans got up and obviously applauded him a minute applause, um, and within that, you know, Tramia scored their opener, um, which I, I think for me take all you know your promotions, your cup games, and whatever that was kind of a real. It showed what the club was about, if that makes sense. Um, and I think you know we we can sit and we can we can grumble about you know transfers, we can grumble about losing one nil and and whatnot to certain teams, but that that to me showed what our club was all about, and and, and rightly so for Nate and and all of his family. So um, just a little bit of a I don't know whether any of his family listened to any of these, but a little bit of shout a little bit of a shout out and you know well wishes to all of his family as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and quite rightly, um, celebration, if you will, for one of the goals at the end of the game was a show number five, Nathan back, wasn't it? Um, and he was also awarded man of the match, which I think um, his dad has shown the little trophy on social media, obviously awarded to Nate posthumously to be man of the match against Swindon. It's a, it's a tragic story we've been following now for quite some time on social media. The little lad's obviously not been well for a long, long time. Um, I can't possibly imagine... As a, as parents, what they must have gone through and are going through, and it it honestly puts everything that we talk about on this podcast, 
and any any game of football that happens in midweek or the weekend, it's a massive perspective. When you think, oh, you know, if Tramia don't go up, there's still a Tramia Rovers next season, you know, touch wood. You know, whereas there'll ever be another Nate Gibman for, for, for those parents and for all of us, really. It is, it's absolutely heartbreaking, but also amazing what the community as a club and everyone did really to rally around and support him and the family, certainly the last few months, last year or so. Absolutely. Um, we're bouncing around a little bit, all of the we always do on this podcast, bounce Everton, Dale, Tramier, everybody. Um, I'm just going to get back to Dan with the um, through the Dale uh, topics. But Dan, what do you think of the the signings that we made in January? Do you think um, they are the type of player that we that we needed? Are they the profile that we were looking for? I know obviously Ball sort of hit the ground running recently and obviously scored. Was that his debut? But do you think they're the profile of players that we should have been looking at? Do you think? Um, yeah, I think I think Robbie potentially didn't get his way in the summer. I think a lot of them signings kind of come in without his his input as such, um, and it was a case of possibly trying to get the players to suit his playing style. That f- three at the back, five at the back, whatever you like to call it. Um, I think realistically, we got the best of every position we possibly could um, when we was actually looking at it. Uh, James Ball come in in the centre midfield. We lost Aaron Morley, obviously, a uh, uh, decent decent fee, I believe, for him. Bought James James Ball in, and he hit the ground running against Boris Green. Uh, he had a really good game actually. Was there that was um, last Tuesday, I believe. Uh, he had a really good game, controlled that, and again against Harrogate. I mean, we lost ship three goals, and he still seemed to kind of shine through. Um, they bought Paul Downing in. That was another one we needed. Needed some more experience at centre back alongside O'Connell. I mean, for all the experience O'Connell's got, he's only maybe twenty five, twenty six years old. Um, so we need you need that that head next to him. And I think since he come in, he's been absolutely unplayable at the back, and it, it, it showed we. I think we conceded one goal in the first few games, like three games maybe. He come in and played, and then he went off injured, and we actually shipped all all them goals against. Uh, it was was that the Harrogate game? I think it was one of them. One of them games. I can't remember which one it was. He come he come off, and Max Taylor come on, and we actually shipped a couple of goals then. Um, but he's been very good. Savon Campbell, obviously third third top scorer in the national league. So you're expecting a high high calibre of a player from him albeit the big step up Charman's the one I think I'm most excited about even though he's coming from the National North he's looked a very good player he has a, a big variety in the goals he scores um, it possibly sounds a, a strange comparison but very Harry Kane-like in the way he likes to play he likes to have an early shot he likes to get in the box he'll he'll score a lot of a lot of different goals he'll get his headers he'll get his tappings he gets on the ball he can play he can hold up the ball. He's very good in that sense. So I'd, obviously not the level that Harry Kane's at, but a very similar style of play. I think the the strangest one of the summer was the Corey O'Keefe one. Um, everyone would probably hate me for saying it was maybe a a deal that we shouldn't have done. Uh, they've gone and spent a fee, bought him in for six months. He's going to leave in the summer on a free after spending money in a January to bring a player in that hit the ground running and then 
Bar being a little bit aggressive against Oldham hasn't done a great deal. Um, should we have possibly gone and looked for someone who's going to stay there for another year or two? We seem to have wasted potentially a little bit of money bringing him back. Um, and he, he has been brilliant for the first half of the season, but to pay a fee for someone in January to then only sign a contract till June just seems very strange bit of business. I mean, I, I, we were talking about this the other week, uh, me and a few other Dale fans. It did seem a bit, it seemed like it, it dragged and dragged and dragged for weeks. Is he signing? Is he not? Where is he going? And then Bradford, I think Bradford were looking at him and we were looking at him and things like that. But <clears throat> for it to drag on so long, I don't know if you can, is it the agent? Is it the player? Is it the club? Is it Mansfield? Mansfield wanted to get rid of him. So it's not Mansfield. They wanted him off the box, apparently. Cluffy said he, he didn't want him. So you can then sort of, what's the word, narrow it down a little bit. Is it the agent playing up a bit? Oh, you, you, you want this and you want that. It probably, it could be, it could be the agent because why, why, stay, why stay at a club for such a short period so that you can jump to something else for a better deal? And it's probably, it's got to be, hasn't it? Surely. I'd say possibly the, the signing on fee in the summer is going to be a big one for both player and agent. I think he was looking for a bigger club. I think he was looking for that step up and I believe he can play at a League One level. So there'll be plenty of League One clubs looking at him. But how can you base a, a decent fee in a January off a player that's played four or five months of good football? Prior to that, he hadn't done anything. So he's looking for that big club and that step up, but not really put any time in yet. And I think Rochdale, at that point, it was towards the end of the transfer window, it was either stay at Mansfield and be stagnant and not get played because it's well documented. Cluffy didn't want him there. He, no system for him at the right wing back position. Um, so he either stays there and doesn't get played and then goes in the summer and has to try and find another League Two club again to build himself again or come back to Rochdale where I don't think he necessarily wanted to come back, but now has another four months to go and kick on and hopefully get that big move again in the summer and get a nice signing on fee somewhere and leave us in that sense. That's why I just feel it seems a strange bit of business to pay a fee to Mansfield to get his contract cut short to then sign him on a six-month contract and pay his high wages in the, in the, in the meantime when we could have bought someone in and put them on an 18-month contract and have that stability there for next season as well. It's something that we spoke you mentioned as well in terms of we're getting that late to the transfer window that yet we're our thinking look at other possibilities if he's not coming in these two days left or I can't remember what it were precisely but yeah fair enough he can be he can be a good player and he has played some good games beginning of the season he's turned up and he's he's, he's scored a few decent goals things like that but yeah you sort of have to question the commitment a little bit because like you say. Why has he left it late? Why are we doing this? You know, why are we paying him out of the deal with Mansfield? Things like that. I mean, re- <clears throat> yeah, fair enough. We knew what we were getting with him, but it's not quite panned out just yet. I know it's only early in terms of January's only just finished. What I've, well, said that re- mid Feb, but it's a lot of effort to go through for a few months, isn't it? Really, it, it didn't seem. When you look at it in hindsight, it's a lot to be going through. It's um, yeah. Also been, yeah. Sorry, it's, it's also been four or five games now and since he signed on the, the deal, he, he hasn't actually done anything. I mean, I've seen him Saturday against Harrogate 
I think he put four balls over the top of the sandy lane going for crosses. Um, it just seems to be a little bit off the boil, whether that's because he hasn't then trained since um, New Year's Eve to the point he he then joined the squad back at the end of January. Is he a little bit out of match fitness? Has he been training at Mansfield? Has he? I don't know what he'd done in the meantime kind of thing. It's kind of left quite in the dark with it all. It is a bit of a strange one. As much as he is, he is a bit of a, a fan favourite and he's getting a lot of... Um sort of hero worship really on social media that is he coming, is he not and things like that. But yeah, spot on with that. He's not really done a lot since he's signed this window. Um, he's one of the players that we've signed in January. Another one is Campbell, one of the forwards that we've signed. I can't, is it from Solihull? I think I think it might be. But, I think um, it what, was what? Ball, uh, James Borkham from Solihull. I think he comes That's from Worthing. It was. Right. Um, right. I think... I think he'll come good. He looks naturally. He makes the right type of runs and things. I think the physicality of stepping up a league, I think, really hit home. You see, he gets pulled off the ball quite a lot. He was easily bullied at Oldham. Again, at Colchester, very easily bullied. I don't think he's quite match fit. He seems to be doing 60, 70 minutes every week. However, when he actually played on Saturday um, against Harrogate Charm and come on and for... A brief period, it was about 15 minutes at the end of the game, they was playing two up top with a centre-attacking midfielder just behind him in a doe. Um, he actually linked up really well and looked well with somebody alongside him. So whether it's just the fact that he's been very isolated playing one up top and two very wide players that aren't natural wingers as such in newbie or a doe or, or whatever, they're more attacking players than a winger. So they're never looking to get the ball into him. And I think he wants it into his feet a lot and he likes to play off that second striker. It's something, obviously, we spoke about, we got down in, uh, in January as well on loan. Uh, we don't really have a, a right lot of experience. I think Jimmy touched on it before that we're quite young in terms of squad. Uh, we don't have the McShane or the Wilbraham, Henderson, I can't think of anybody else. Um, we have done great couple of years with young players and they're full of energy. You could say like Matheson, full of energy, bang, you know, look at that. We sold him for a million, things like that. You think that's something we could probably do with Charman or, or Campbell? Or do you think they're a bit too old? Do you think these are players that we're getting in and hopefully, you know, that's the... Um, we usually sell a player for decent money every 18 months or something like that. Do you think that's what we're looking for with these as well? Um, no, I think I think with um, Charman and Campbell, I think they are hopefully going to get a, a season or two out of them, a good a good quality season or two out of them before leaving to go elsewhere anyway. Let's be honest, we're in League 2. Any player that's worth his salt and can and move on upper leagues you, you can't hold anybody back and that's the point you have to sustain yourself through sales as well um, I think very fortunate with the Matheson deal as well everyone, everyone always seems to touch on that because it was a million quid um, realistically I think he played 16, 17 games for Rochdale didn't actually do fantastic scored two goals the one against United seemed to catapult him into stardom hasn't done anything since a very bang average in Scotland now struggling again he's just got a low move to Scunthorpe and not doing great there either so realistically was he worth a million pound um, I think we got very fortunate on that but I think there's a few players there looking for the future I think 
your strikers are always going to go football cells on goals, don't it? So they score a few goals. They're always there's always going to be interested parties. Whereas I think people like Ball when they brought them in, I think he's looking at longevity for people like that. I think that's that's spot on. Obviously, with Matheson, you're spot on with that. It's a strange one because yeah, he was a fan favourite and he was young and he was good to some degree. And obviously, he scored two two or three goals and what have you. But it seemed like he peaked so much after that United game when we scored, and then it sort of that was it then. And obviously, I think he's like you say he's played in Scotland. He's at Scunthorpe, but crikey, to get a million pound for him, you know, as much as you know, I'm not I'm not slagging him off or anything, but he's not he's not cat. He's not how can I say this? He never he never stayed in the Wolves setup or he was never pushing for the eleven. He might have been on the bench a few times, but. Crikey, when you look back at that, you think, bloody hell, we've done well there. Jesus. Yeah, he's not exactly had a standout career, you'd have thought. It's not taken off the way that you'd have hoped for him, really. Matheson's an interesting one, that he's, like I say, nine appearances in the Scottish Second Division for Hampton Academicals, hardly, like, much to write home about. I mean, and then, obviously, you with the Football League with Scunthorpe, and you thought, when you're signed by Wolves, you'd think, oh, well, at least to get a good championship loan, or, you know, something like that. But it, he just hasn't kicked on anything like but then he's still only young isn't he so there's still plenty of time I think with I think the one thing sorry go on Dan. Well, I was going to say I think with Scunthorpe as well I think the only reason he actually goes to Scunthorpe now is because Keith Hill's obviously gone there and, and knows and he feels he can trust him I don't know if anybody else is going to take that gamble in him and then what does he do with Wolves where does he go from there no, I think I think he's spot on with that because Hilly's in the January transfer window, he's, he seems to have recruited a lot of Exdale players. I think Pike's there. Um, there's the other lad that were at Bolton. I forgot his name. Is it Delaney? I think he's at Scunthorpe, Matheson. So he's he's done a cull of ex-lads who he probably knows to some degree. Yeah, they're not that great, but I think he, he, he probably knows what he's going to get from them. Um, like Feeney found. from Tramir as well. Yeah, that's another one. That's another one. So he's obviously... He's got somewhat of a network that he's working with Hill and he's, he's, he's using that, isn't he, in some respects. Yeah, um, I think when you're in that position, you just want bodies in the door that can yeah. put up a bit of a fight for you and just yeah. try and get you out the mess. At the end of the day, it's not necessarily about you've got to have quality, don't get me wrong, but you want just a good group of lads that will get you out the mire at that level. I think that's what it is. Um, bouncing, bouncing around again, but uh, I've got to come to deck on a bit more tram here. Um, I think for Dale, I think we we've got eighteen games left. I think that's got to be the same for Tramia. Um What what are your expectations are the that you could sort of like isolate those eighteen games as we've got to do this or what what can you do with those eighteen games? You reckon? Um, <clears throat> there's been quite a bit of chat around this, and again, you know, you normally have that kind of forty five fifty point margin to stay up, and what's normally needed for playoffs, automatics, and, and whatever. Um, and I was reading on Twitter earlier on of the games that we've got left. I think we can afford to lose four, pick up a few draws, and we've got to win the rest. Looking at the fixtures that we've got coming up, there's that's a big, big ask. Um, and you know, a lot of these teams are away from home as well, which is not, you know, it doesn't doesn't play into our our hands at all. Um, our away stats aren't great this season. We've had we've had years where we've been untouchable on the road and terrible at home. And this this seems to be very much the, the reverse of that. I think realistically, um, if we don't get playoffs, it's a disaster. 
Um, am I saying that's going to happen? No, I, I think we are, you know, we we should be okay for playoffs as a, as a minimum. My worry is, is if we don't get automatics, haven't been there for so long, are the players then going to start dropping off? Um, are they as sharp as, as they could be? Possibly not. And that is that is always the danger. I think I'd, I'd always want to be in and around that fourth or fifth bracket and then start pushing on, you know, around around the Easter mark, really. Um, I think it's always harder to sustain being in those places than it is to push into them later on in the season. I think we've seen that an awful lot, and we see that a lot at our level. Um, certainly over the last few years, it, it t- tends to be the, the sides that are in the playoffs that push on for automatics and so on. So, you know, I really hope and pray that we're not going to be that team that kind of falls away and flits away, That and we have been that in the past. Um, I think... If the injuries that we've got aren't too bad and, and we're back to kind of almost a full strength squad in another two weeks, maybe week and a half, two weeks, I think we were definitely capable of staying up and around there. Realistically, our Northampton and Exeter both going to win their two games in hand and, and then us not get anything against them. Slim, very, very slim for, you know, for four wins to go against you and for us to lose against you know, Exeter and Northampton. So, you know, if even if they win their games, if we get something against them, it's back back in our own hands and then it's a case of matching results again. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of a headache at the minute. It's not um overly enjoyable, as stupid as that sounds, being up at our end of the table and being safe and not worrying about, you know, the the stresses and the different scenarios are are very much the same as a, as a side that are struggling down the other end of the table, um, but just a, a different prize at stake, really. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think we'll be in and around the mix. But I, I'm not I'm not fully sold on will we do it or won't we do it. I'm not not quite there. Although I may have been carried away the other night when we beat Swindon singing "We Are Going Up," which may may or may not have jinxed us. <laughs> I went to Salford against Carlisle. Yes, you did. You sent me a photo. I mean, yeah. the first half was. Three. I've got to be honest. The first for half free. It was for free. Was for free. How did you get it for free? It was for free. Oh, for okay. reasons I won't go into. Okay, I'll tell the story very quickly. No, no, it's not so really. So we were supposed to go to the Salford Tramia game, which got postponed. If memory serves me correctly, because of COVID, I think Tramia had a few cases in, in their squad, so we couldn't go to the return when the rearranged fixture kicked in. It's fine. So I asked them for a refund. Like, yeah, no problem. And I got the refund back, and the refund was for less than what I paid originally. So I emailed back and said, I'm not sure you've you given me the right amount. And they hadn't. They'd given me a refund for the earlier EFL Papa John's that trophy game in um, when it was October time, I think it was. And they said, oh, we've done the rest of it. Um, as a gesture of goodwill, I suppose, um, if there's any games you want to go to, we'll give you two free tickets. So I was like, it's fine, guys. I'm not that desperate, but thank you anyway. <laughs> but I'll still go. Um, so yeah, Tramia Carlisle. Uh, sorry, it's off of Carlisle. Um, the first half was one of the worst halves of football I've ever seen in my entire life. The only highlight was Carlisle got three players injured. Um, that was it. Nothing else happened. And then it was 2-1. So it was not a bad half game. Salford, I've got to admit, it's a bit of a soul right. round. So you know what I'm on about now. Right. Great. Feel free. It's it's more like a, the Papa John's Trophy game. Well, no yeah. goes there anyway, so of course it's going to be quiet. But for a league game, and they're not, what are they, 12th, 11th, I think they are. I think they've still got a chance at the playoffs, definitely. 
Carlisle, give them the credit, took a really good following for a, a Tuesday night. They must have had easily six, seven hundred. They, they, they filled that away end as full standard and made a good noise. But yeah, Salford, it was it was deathly quiet for ninety minutes. Even when the goals were in, it was like, hey, okay. You're like, this is it. Well, to be fair though, Matt, you're not going to create an atmosphere when everyone's got in for free, are you really? <laughs> Everyone, they're just giving, that's the only reason they get the fans, they're giving away tickets. Fair point. Yeah. Fair think, point. Um, we, we played them fairly, well, a couple of months ago. I know Danny was there because I saw you. Um, did you think you were a bit like that, Danny? A little bit? We, Solus, a bit, made that Lego? We actually had more fans there than them. Um, there was 11.50, I yeah. think, Rochdale and just under 1,000 Salford fans. So that, that kind of says it all. And I think the average age of the Salford fans was probably around the 12, 13 mark. That's the type of fans they're attract. They're a, they're a small-time Manchester United, aren't they? Let's be honest. They're nothing more than that. No, it's mad because I do think that like, the Salford Red Devils and Rugby League and Sell Sharks and Rugby Union would comfortably attract more supporters at the AJ Bell Stadium. And Salford City FC would do so. I don't quite get that move. Um, other than if you're trying to attract, like I say, trying to attract more supporters in, but like I say, if you don't fill out the Peninsula Stadium at the moment, then you're not going to fill out the AJ Bell. I, I, unless the team suddenly goes on a massive surge up to like the Championship Premier League, which is unlikely to happen. You know, I, I just don't. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a rush to the diamonds for me. It's a it's a weird one. Even even not that I've been there. I'm you know. Even if they do kind of jump up and reach League One, the Championship, this and this, they've still got that small core of fan base. I think we struggle. It's well known that Rochdale struggle already to get home fans in the ground. I think we get an average attendance of two thousand at a minute, even at the heights of League One and stuff like that. You're still only getting about three thousand there. I think if you go to the Championship or the Premier League, you, you're still probably only going to get four or 5,000 at top. That's the maximum that that community allows with the clubs that are in and around the area. There's far too many clubs there with Uniteds and Cities and things like that that they can go and watch a good standard of football for a very similar price when you then reach the Championship level and things. I mean, Christ City, they're always sell out. And they're the best day of them. In the country, if not in Europe, which shows how far they're a very similar fan base. Oh, they have yeah. thirty-five thousand die-hard fans, uh, and and they've been there Core. there for yeah, years and years and years. And everything else on top of that's just the the new fan base, the day trippers, and things like that. And that's always going to be the same with any project of stuff like that. I think the Salford situation. I think the initial interest of the class of ninety-two, you know, all going into it, and the documentaries go all that bit on it. That's definitely faded now. But, but again, it was interesting when they were going up the leagues. But I think they've, I think League One is their, is their ceiling. Um, and even then, again, I don't see them particularly doing, you know, winning it at, at a canter and get to the championship. I think that's really the best they can probably hope for. And like I say, it would be weird to see. It's not unheard of. You know, we've had championship teams who have had two thousand in a game, whatever else. But it does seem it, it's a, a very, very small core. The fans are going. It was yeah, barely made the noise for ninety minutes. It was sort of sat there going, "Was this it? I thought you guys were supposed to be an alright, decent side." It's like at least even with Tramia weren't particularly brilliant. You would still be getting a good few thousand in who would make a decent noise out of it. But yeah, it felt very, very quiet. Put it that way. So um, there's five people on the pod tonight, six including Tom. Um, so Salford City, if you are listening. We'll take some free tickets and double your attendance for you. You're, you're welcome. Cheers, we guys. We'll be the men in red for the night. 
Oh, we can just get the tickets and they can add it on the attendance. Have to go. The toilet situation's terrible as well. Yeah. They're little porter cabins at the hey, back. Hey, hey, oh, we're off. Anyone been? Anyone? Anyone been to Harrogate? No, I haven't. I don't know if Danny. That was an experience. That was literally just corrugated iron stacked. You packed in seven hundred rowers fans on a Tuesday night. One toilet for seven hundred fans. Or oh, it was something else. The worst. Matt and I will have to agree. Has to be Gretna. When Gretna FC were a club. Oh Jesus! I forgot about Gretna. Gretna FC. The original Gretna FC that, that rose up to the, the I was, Scottish. I was too young. Scottish for that Premier League and uh, the Scottish Cup final literally was just. On a wall, like you say, open air. There was no toilet. It was just, yeah, it was a. I heard insults that day that I've never heard repeated since. I've never gotten to end it. Yeah, we want to watch Gretna. I've heard things at football grounds before, but my God, we want to watch Gretna be Ross County in about 2007 in the Scottish Second Division. Oh my word! It was it was a it was a hell of an experience. It was hilarious. They won. Three 0 something like that. They won. Great game. Was it? And it was, and it was a decent game. game. But yeah, those toilets were. Yeah, were, that were was... horrible. I've been to clubs, which have had nicer toilets. I'm not saying something. As in nightclubs. The crazy, the crazy houses floor was nicer. That's for anyone against. Yeah, that if, you, if you know the cray, like we know the cray, well, you're probably still stuck to the floor. Greg, for you, the craze Fifth Avenue. Oh yeah, I couldn't get that. Le, 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 the yeah. the, the, the scouts the scouts recently shut down this yeah. week, Fifth. The scouts. Yeah, still down that week, hasn't it? Scouts it has, hasn't it? Yeah, 5th yeah. has yeah. gone. Yeah, 5th has gone. It's been closed for ages, Back in it? its day, it was good. But like, been condemned. 2005 yeah. or something, it was shit up, but I've not been since. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Literally shit up. Just yeah. full of shit. <laughs> a bit like Rafa, really. Right, old chaps, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up there. Um, Crikey, we've done, obviously, two episodes in one night. Um, just like to thank everybody for popping on. I'd like to thank Deck for coming back on again, talking about Tranmere. We'll have you back on in uh, next, whenever you next month, month after, month after, whenever you want, really, whenever you want. Uh, I'd like to thank Danny for popping on first time for Danny Delphan. Um, we'll have you back on if you want to come back on again. We've also had Tom, but Tom had to um, go in the first hour. Obviously, different commitments. We've all got different commitments. Uh, just like to thank Tom. I also like to thank Jimmy and Matt. Obviously, we've been doing this for a year now, which seems bizarre. In in, uh, in just on paper, that sounds sounds mad that we've been doing podcasts for a year. But we peaked around June last yeah. year. I reckon we peaked. Yeah, I think we peaked. What do you mean? We've been getting better and better ever since. I mean, to be fair, what did <laughs> we? How, how did we get sixth in that? Um, I'm gonna say ratings? we're actually getting we're actually getting guests on now, whereas it was just be the three of us to start off. Which you can imagine how that went for the first three episodes. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. The first one was on Zoom. Chaos on Zoom. Zoom ones were absolute carnage. Um, So um, please download us. We want to try and beat sixth in the whatever charts we were sixth in. The Europa League spots, whatever it was. Playoff places. I swear those charts are made. Uh, I I don't think they're even real. I don't know what they are. But can you get us up as high in as many charts? I don't even care if we're high up in the French politics charts. But at this point, I don't care. Just get us high up in charts. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Spotify, and everything else. I've managed to blitz it all up. Oh, we need TikTok, TikTok coming, coming soon. soon. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you TikTok dancers go Yeah, the men in blue TikTok dancers. I don't know what that is. I would never have a clue with TikTok. You it would be horrific. Oh, be oh, my God. Yeah. oh, my God. It'd be brilliant. I'm everyone, doing do, it. everyone do the okay, key tail dance. Like, That'd like, be brilliant. Oh, my word. Sports Social Podcast Network.